All right, welcome back, everybody, to episode 10 of the third season of the Building Lifelong Athletes podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Renke. Thanks so much for stopping by. I really appreciate it. Today, we're talking all about stem cells. So stem cells are such a hot topic right now. Everyone's talking about, you've probably seen ads online or heard someone on the radio or the internet talk about stem cells. We're going to talk all about stem cells in terms of what actually stem cells are, what are the ideas behind how they work, when we use them, and the evidence for them, and kind of my take on them as well. So let's get started. So first, obviously these fall under our regenerative medicine umbrella, as do prolotherapy and PRP, but the idea is that regenerative medicine, the idea is that we're trying to support the body to form new functional tissues to replace either degenerative or defective areas or tissues. Um, the human body does have an endogenous system of regeneration through stem cells. So what they're saying there is typically your body says, hey, like, you know, eventually your cells kind of run their course and have to kind of die off and they get replaced with new cells of the same function. And this comes from stem cells. Stem cells kind of have this option to say, okay, like we'll just keep making these and they just keep going. They make what they need in terms of the different types of cells and they can make a bunch of very different, different types of cells. We'll talk all about that, but that's essentially what happens. And today we're going to talk about two main types where we get them from, from adipose tissue and bone marrow. So like I said, let's start, like I said, once again, let's start back stem cells. How do we define them? This is a type of cell that is non-specific and not specialized in its function, unlike mature tissues. And so the main types are embryonic and non-embryonic. So when we kind of talk about that, we talk about these stem cells have the capability for self-renewal and can differentiate into different lineages under the right conditions. And what do I mean by different lineages? Well, let's say, hey, let's say this one stem cell can become seven or eight different types of tissues you know when they're undifferentiated they saying hey they're not haven't specialized right is essentially what it is so stem cells are non-specialized cells meaning they can fill a lot of gaps and do a bunch of different things and be turned into many different types of cells and breaking it down from that embryonic and non-embryonic obviously embryonic is talking about working with embryos those are some cells that are taken from five to twelve day old embryo and are pluripotent meaning they can make any cell in the body so pluripotent means can make any cell in the body uh, we're not going to be talking about embryonic stem cells today they are not legal to use for our any intents and purposes for a stem cell injection but that is what we're talking about when we talk about embryonic stem cells they are pluripotent can become any cell in the body um, but that's that's what we're talking about and then non-embryonic are what we call multipotent so they can still make multiple different cell lines and that's, that's really important can you make lots of different tissues coming from that one that one single stem cell and so essentially what we're talking about here is when we're talking about the ones that can be injected, they're called autologous non-embryonic adult stem cells. So breaking down those words, autologous means it's coming from you. You are taking your own blood out or bone marrow or adipose tissue and spinning it down and getting stem cells. And we're taking from adult patients and they're essentially undifferentiated, but they're no longer pluripotent like the embryonic stem cells. So when we take the ones from fat or from adipose tissue, it is not completely, you know, like not every single cell is an option, but it can still turn into a bunch of different ones. And so it's not pluripotent, but it can turn into multiple things. And like I said, you can get these, you know, these under differentiated ones. So not, not pluripotent, but the ones you can get, we talked about adipose tissue and bone marrow specifically, but you can get them from amniotic fluid or the umbilical cord as well. That is all for research purposes though. They've kind of said, hey, you can't really do that anymore. And the FDA actually has some pretty strict standards on this. Unlike, you know, necessarily PRP where there's kind of like, ah, it's a wild west. FDA does mandate in terms of there has to be quote unquote minimal manipulation to any sort of stem cells. And this does not allow the use of amniotic fluid or umbilical cord stem cells at all. So that is not an option. That used to be an option in terms of injections, but that is not what happens anymore. 
And so that is what a stem cell is. The overview is that it's a cell that hasn't quite made up its mind yet. It can determine, it can change and become whatever it needs to be for the body, whatever it needs at that time. And so, like I said, our body's full of them because we have to keep regenerating cells. And it's magical that the fact that it can uh, just sit there and kind of wait and wait and wait and say, okay, it's time to make this cell. So that's what it generally is. It's really cool. And now let's talk about the mechanism, how it works. So mesenchymal stem cells, that's kind of what we're talking about here. There's mesenchymal ones that are kind of, we're getting these and, and these are the ones we're going to talk about. They can give rise to cells of the mesodermal lineage, including osteoblasts, chondrocytes, tenocytes, endothelial cells, myocytes, fibroblasts, nerves, and adipocytes. So basically can make anything. So like step back there, stem cells, this calls mesoderm lineage. So there's different types of development. This goes back to, I mean, if you think about developmental biology, we're talking about like the mesoderm is a specific, you know, separation of as our body's differentiating, we can go into um, mesoderm, endoderm, ectoderm, these kind of the very, very, very basics of when a baby's forming, it kind of separates in these layers and these layers can become other things. And this mesodermal layer, like I said, these are the things that become osteoblasts or bone, chondrocytes can make cartilage, tenocytes making our tendons, endothelial cells are throughout our lining and the cells there, myocytes can make muscles, fibroblasts are kind of the support cells for a bunch of things, nerves and fat cells. So once again, this whole lineage of these mesodermal lineage can make all those different things. So it can make lots and lots of different things. And that's kind of like the mechanism for how, why we think stem cells are potentially useful is that hey if i put stem cells into your knee with arthritis it can maybe make the chondrocytes better that's like the general idea behind it is that actually happening inside of live human bodies probably not but uh, we're working on it we're trying to figure out is it actually happening but that's what we're working on we're trying to get better there so first let's talk about bone marrow concentrate so we're gonna talk about bone marrow concentrate first and then we'll talk about adipose derived uh, stem cells later so first you know said so this is this bone marrow concentrate is found in trabecular part of the flat and long bone. So trabecular bone, there's kind of different, two different types of bones in your body, essentially um, cortical bone and trabecular bone and trabecular bone is like a honeycomb inside of your bone. It has lots of remodeling going on. It's very active, lots of cell turnover, and it's much less dense than cortical bone. And these are kind of found, like I said, a lot of times in the, the flat part of, or potentially long bones and there's usually portions of it here, but it's the trabecular part is much more metabolically active and lots of remodeling going on, less dense than cortical bone. And we use this bone marrow cells. They're kind of used because it has mesenchymal stem cells and their progenitor cells called myeloid and lymphoid cells, which play a role with tissue regeneration. So long story short, we find these tissues in things like the posterior iliac spine. So like that's where we get that from. The What happens is, is we're drilled into the bone marrow. So obviously we have to go in there and do that, which can be a uh, whole process in of itself and it's a whole procedure with sedation and whatnot but it's prepared similar to prp where it's spun down and extracted and that's kind of how the whole process works and so where can we find this stuff it's actually like i said a fluid very similar to the blood inside the bone so bones are not just like bone like just like you think a rock right you think a bone is just a rock that is not the case actually bone is actually very metabolically active there's fluid inside there there's bone marrow as we're talking about here there's lots of stuff going on in your bones your bones are not just steady and that's why we talk about so it's so important to weight lift early in your life and kind of lay down that bone because the bone is metabolically active and we can be stronger the earlier you know we work with resistance training whatnot we can build up bone strength so that's how we build up bone strength because it's metabolically active not just sitting there but that being said for this in all intents and purposes the most common location we use is the iliac crest particularly the posterior superior iliac spine as it has the most abundant source of these stem cells 
there are various pockets of bone marrow and you know you want to make sure you don't go too deep in there to get peripheral blood which could then dilute the stem cells so there's like a perfect little layer most of the regions where they have it are called the endosteal and subendosteal region which are the two outermost regions of the bone and that's where we typically drill and so you don't want to go too 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 deep because it could actually get kind of more peripheral blood and could dilute out the stem cells and so when you are doing this procedure you're typically going under some sort of sedation because i know i would not want to be sitting there and get um part of my bone marrow taken out without some sort of sedation. It would not feel good. There's a big aspiration needle then placed into the hip bone and then the fluid is taken out. And once again, spun down similarly like PRP. Usually there are two different spins. The first spin kind of produces bone marrow plasma fraction with a buffy coat and red blood cells. We've talked about buffy coat before. Buffy coat contains white blood cells and platelets. And then like I said, the plasma fraction is typically the plasma. And then about two cc's of blood is taken to get any extra stem cells out on top of that. And then it's added to the bone marrow plasma fraction and then spun down. So the idea is we're taking, hey, some of those red blood cells there, which might have some of the stem cells to the bone marrow, taking the bone marrow plasma fraction, which may have more of that, add those together, spin them down, and that's how you get our stem cells. There's no real consensus on stem cell dosing or aspiration technique. Once again, this is a issue that we had with PRP that we also see with stem cells that, hey, there's no real consensus on this is the way to do it. And then moving over to adipose tissue. So adipose tissue concentrate. This is found in adipose tissue that's similar to bone marrow in terms of ultimately what they can produce, but they do differ slightly in their differentiation potential in terms of what things it can turn into. But for all intents and purposes, they're very similar. Um, when you get adipose tissue, a lot of times what you do is you get some sort of, you get a 3D multicellular scaffolding. So on top of that, we also get adipose stem cells, stromal cells, or support cells. And so what's nice here is like when you get this fat, they kind of give this scaffolding for potentially things to grow on. So like, hey, you've got the scaffolding or kind of this base layer that allows you to kind of have all of the you know, new cells come in, whether it's chondrocytes or fibroblasts or what have you come in there and they kind of lay on it. And that's where they kind of just like bathe in that. And that's a good medium for them to grow and kind of produce things. And so we can have that and produce all those cells. And then of these, the adipose can differentiate into osteoblasts or cells that make bone, adipocytes that can make more fat, chondrocytes makes cartilage, and then neurons as well can become nerves. And so once again, the procedure for this does require some sedation. Essentially, it Adipose tissue is harvested with sedation from a process similar to liposuction, actually. So it's like you're getting liposuction, taking out some subcutaneous fat. Obviously, it's not going into your abdominal cavity super far and getting like visceral fat, um, but it's getting that kind of superficial fat. However, you can't just use the fat as it is. The adipose tissue has to be emulsified or digested to kind of break down the stromal vascular fraction. And then this stromal vascular fraction is collection of cells within the adipose tissue, which can then be isolated and then spun down like PRP once again to create a stem cell layer. There's multiple steps in the process, but it's overkill in this podcast to go through step by step. Um, it, it is a very involved mechanism. Like I said, it's not, not a, a thing that I typically do. So I was reading through it and I was like, wow, this is very involved. So there's definitely a lot of thinking going on. People put a lot of thought into it, but it's lots going on. And how does this work? Well, like I said, there are some immunomodulator effects as well. There's immunosuppressive effects, but you know, at the end of the day, it must be triggered by some sort of inflammatory cytokines and then moved to the damaged site. So like, well, what I mean by that is we are, you can see some potential like immunosuppressive effects, but we're trying to trigger this inflammation and creating this inflammatory cytokines, which then 
brings you know additional healing factors or kind of activating the stem cells these stem cells may also have an angiogenic effect which may pr proliferate like blood cells and the vascular supply also may inhibit or start cellular repair which may stimulate various stem cell reparative functions as well and so long story short we're trying to do a bunch of different things with this we're hoping that hey maybe it triggers some blood vessel growth to bring blood to the area maybe it's stimulating cellular repair maybe it is starting this healing process back over again lots of things that's what we're thinking for and in terms of bone marrow versus adipose tissue there's no real consensus on preparation standards validity or quality like why would you choose one or another well at the end of the day adipose is a less invasive procedure and there's typically less pain than bone marrow and i think you get a higher amount of stem cells that can be procured from that because you can take a pretty large volume as opposed to just inside of the you know the bone marrow inside the bone they have pretty much similar differentiation ability and so it's not like there's one huge dramatic one that i've seen at least in the literature maybe there's and maybe other people who do it more will speak differently to that but it seems like they're generally similar in terms of differentiate potential and so now let's talk about when do we use this right so the hurt jordan that's really boring and you just bored the life of me for the last 12 minutes what's going on well let's talk about when we can use it so a lot when they talk one thing they talk about is full cartilage thickness lesions right so people who have either a knee injury or whatnot a lot of times they talk about the talus or the knee we have a full thickness cartilage lesion, so a big piece of that cartilage is gone. Looking at our osteochondral lesions, what we talk about there specifically. Um, there, in this one review I saw, there were seven studies that showed significant clinical improvement. Um, and you know, these did show improvement in clinical and radiographic measures, meaning, hey, we, it looks like it's getting better and patients felt better. For osteoarthritis specifically, uh, there's some more mixed data. It seems to be beneficial, but not necessarily greater than PRP potentially. Once again, lots of different data that you're going to find some will say it's the best thing in the world others will say it didn't do anything more than you know other injections and so and from a prp standpoint it seems like it's similar -ish to prp and kind of works similar in that we expect to see a longer effect in this necessarily right away but long term um, does seem to be better than hyaluronic acid or steroid in the long term and like i mentioned long term is really where prp and stem cells shine in terms of like a year out they seem to have better outcomes it doesn't mean they're fantastic outcomes in that they're like everyone's way better clinically but in terms of the measurements for the studies in terms of clinical and pain outcomes it seems like they're better at a year um, in terms of bone healing is is it effective for it well there's possible early radiographic improvement but there's similar outcomes at one year and regardless if they got bmac with or, or bmac with surgery or no no bmac with surgery so essentially if you had bone healing meaning we had a some sort of fracture and we got reparative surgery and they added bmac to that area the outcomes seem to be about the same at one year whether they got the bmac or not so maybe not as important what about tendon repairs? Well, typically during a tendon repair, this is the Achilles or rotator cuff was the majority of the time. So they're in surgery, once again, giving it seem to have improved outcomes. And we kind of talked about with PRP as well. Like, can you supplement PRP within uh, an injection? Does it with the surgery? Does it, is it helpful? And it seems to be like there may be some benefit from it. So, um, you know, there are some things you have to think about in terms of considerations, contraindications. Typically they do not recommend you getting stem cell injections. You have a history of cancer. Like I said, the idea is that we have this regenerative potential and we don't want to unleash some sort of oncogenic variation where we get out of control and things are growing we can't control it so that's generally one contraindication to this and we have to talk about the elephant room which is the price these are thousands of dollars and i have yet to see an insurance company cover these yet so they're not covered by insurance and it is very very expensive on top of that this is the most invasive procedure that we have it is a big procedure you have to harvest it from some way shape or form they said you're gonna to have to have some sort of procedure which is the sedation and then the injection so it's definitely something to think about and so kind of putting it all together 
in my thoughts, this truly is like a new frontier right now. It is definitely very exciting in terms of the potential it may offer and the mechanism behind it are very exciting saying, hey, can we regrow cartilage cells? Can we, you know, reverse osteoarthritis? That's like the idea. That's like our holy grail. Are we anywhere close to that right now? No, we're not. But it's exciting that people are doing this so that we can hopefully work towards that and maybe figure it out someday. That being said, um, if we thought we knew nothing about PRP, then we really know nothing about stem cells because just like PRP, it's so heterogeneous. The mixtures are you know, different for every person. Every person is different and the data is just not, you can't do huge studies in this because you just don't have a huge amount of people lining up to spend thousands and thousands of dollars. And I don't think I've seen a data set that's more confusing and that's more based on basic science than this. You know, I was looking for, when I was doing my prep for this podcast, I was just looking through stem cells, trying to figure it out. And it's just like all these basic science for like, hey, this is why we think it will work. This is the mechanism and that's great and everything. But man, clinical outcomes are very important and your mechanisms are fantastic. But if you're spending thousands of dollars on just the mechanism and not having clinical results, then I have a problem with that. And so it's been very confusing. And like I said, where this fits into my tool belt, like I said, I don't personally do these yet. I'm not convinced enough on the data. Um, to even like look into trying to get this going for us yet. But this is kind of my last resort for an injection and I don't do them. I'm not really convinced. And like I said, I'm also concerned for long-term safety as we have no real safety down that there are some theoretical, but scary risks in terms of, Hey, these are some cells. What if they go awry and start building cells that we don't want to build? Like I said, there's no evidence that that's the case yet, but that's also something I'm, you know, thinking about kind of considering. And so at the end of the day, if you are like Scrooge McDuck and you're just like swimming in money and you want to try this, you can do that. That's very reasonable. I think the outcome seems safe in terms of it's coming from you. It's autologous. So I don't think we have a big reaction to it. What's the long-term benefit of it? I'm not sure. For me, if you want something fancy, I would go with PRP first just because it's so much more reasonably priced, which is also saying something because PRP is not reasonably priced um, all the time. Sometimes it's very, very expensive. But like I said, it's, it is reasonably priced when you consider the potential benefits when compared to stem cells. And so, like I said, I that's where I would go if you're like, hey, I want to go to regenerative medicine. Right? Like I would start with PRP because, man, jumping to the expense of stem cell may not be worth it. And so my I am open to being convinced. But, man, for the price tag, this is insane at this time. And so for me, that's not where I'm going. Um, but like I said, I am open to be convinced. And hopefully I am in the next couple of years and I can learn more and we can all do better. Because like I said, if we're helping patients and it's accomplishing what we want to accomplish, then I'm I'm all for it and I'm game. So with that concludes our episode today. Thank you so much for stopping by. I really, really appreciate it. If you liked, commented, subscribed, or shared with a friend, that would really mean the world to me. Now, thanks so much for stopping in. Get off your phone, get outside, and have a great rest of your day. We'll see you next time. Disclaimer. This podcast is for entertainment, education, and informational purposes only. The topics discussed should not solely be used to diagnose, treat, or prevent any condition. The information presented here was created with an evidence-based approach, but please keep in mind that science is always changing, and at the time of listening to this, there may be some new data that makes this information incomplete or inaccurate. Always seek the advice of your personal physician or qualified healthcare provider for questions regarding any medical condition.